The antidote. 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 You're listening to the antidote with Dave Hawkins. With Christian music that doesn't suck. Up. She's falling down, she's holding her fists up now Ride me by face, but we don't look the same She walks away on bloody knees Her swollen face hides her tears My mind shuts her words, but my tongue won't obey Just a shadow now of the girl I used to know Your broken song is named as You strain your face to bear that smile Be clenched tightly all the while And though you serve so thoroughly For some place to put the blame It only rests on angry shoulders And you don't look the same a tune that takes me way back to 2001. That's when the song Divorce released from one of my favorite all-time bands, the punk band Craig's Brother. I'm Dave Hawkins, and this is The Antidote. 
I'm not going to fanboy about having the chance to speak with Craig's brother, frontman Ted Bond, but it was pretty close. The band began over 20 years ago and have recently come back with a new EP, Devils in the Details, which may become the best punk release of the year. There's lots coming on this episode of The Antidote, so let's dive into my talk with Ted and the title track from Homecoming, Craig's brother's debut 1998 album. It's an honor to meet with Ted Bond of Craig's Brother. Thanks so much for coming to The Antidote, Ted. You're welcome. I'm pretty wired about having you here. You know, I've been a fan for a long time. I guess the negative might be that that could make my views kind of biased. But I've always thought of Craig's Brother as being a successful band. Would you think it is? (laughs) Well, I guess it depends on how you define success. Financially, not so much, but in terms of um, making music that we love and reaching some people with that music, yeah, definitely. The band goes way back. What about giving us the roots of Craig's brother? Oh, wow. Well, um, most of us met in high school. Let's see, I graduated high school in 1995, and actually it was about two weeks before graduation that they asked me to join the band. We quickly realized that we had something pretty good going, and we really took it seriously that summer after high school. We practiced like six-hour days where we would do like three practices and take breaks to skateboard. (laughs) Uh, And uh, pretty quickly, people started noticing and wanting us to play, and uh, one thing led to another. I think our, our third show ever was opening for MXPX for about 700 people. Wow. And yeah, I mean, doors just really started opening it was the mid-90s, like the music scene was just amazing. Like if you had a guitar and a band, you pretty much could get signed. So I guess it just went from there. I mean, Tooth & Nail Records was only a few years old when Craig's Brothers signed with the label for your debut, Homecoming. But really, even in those days, Tooth & Nail was huge. You know, it had a big mix of bands. How yeah. significant was it for the band to hook up with them? Oh, it was huge. I mean... You know, initially, I was—I didn't necessarily want to sign, but, you know, they offered us a $5,000 signing bonus, what we call a uh, advance. And um, the opportunities that were available, were we to sign with Tooth & Nail, were just too big to, to say no to. Um, and it made all the difference in the world. As soon as we were on Tooth & Nail, it just even more doors open. And yeah, it was huge. And it was a great opportunity. Yeah. 
What was the hesitation on your part about signing? Uh, so initially we got together, we were, most of us, at least four out of five of us were Christians. We were very serious about God's call in terms of our music. And, and so we were going to be a Christian band, but even before we signed a tooth and nail, we began to have reservations about that. I read a book that book argued that basically Christians have become of the world, but not in the world when we're called to be in the world, but not of the world. So what I had observed is that the Christian music scene, even though it was um, imitating the music that was being played in the world, Christians were actually using it as a way to not engage with actual non-Christians. Hmm. Uh, and I didn't feel good about that, so I didn't want to do that. So even before we signed a tooth and nail, we made the decision that we weren't going to call ourselves a Christian band because Christian music, to me, seemed like really a way of actually disobeying Jesus' command to go out into all the world and make disciples of all men. Man, that's something uh, I never would have thought of. Right? So that was initially, I was like, well, Tooth and Nail is a Christian label. I don't want to sign with them. But then they kind of explained their philosophy. And Brandon actually had a really a nuanced understanding of it. And he didn't consider them the Christian label either. And he kind of felt the same way about Christian music that I did. So I was like, well, okay, then I guess there's not really an issue here. But of course, as soon as we signed a Tooth and Nail, there was a whole set of expectations that came with it regarding a quote-unquote Christian band. At this point... I feel like it's a completely different deal. There isn't enough of a Christian alternative music scene for people to be really using that as an excuse to not engage with the world. It's just not the way it was in the 90s anymore. And that's where the music scene has changed so much. It used to be a lot of playing just church venues, but now it's all intermixed. I mean, how many yeah. artists who are Christian actually just play churches? Almost no one. Right. I mean, I don't know how it is outside of California, but I feel like not as many churches are doing uh, shows. It used to be kind of a pretty common thing for a youth group to put on a rock show. I want you to give a little bit more about the band background, because there's probably some people who are listening who've never heard about Craig's brother. What about telling us the story behind the band name? <laughs> okay. Um uh, it was pretty much decided before I got in the band. I just want to say that. But uh, before I got in the band, the guys were calling themselves Liquid Amber. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. And then they fired their singer, and they got me, and I guess they felt they needed to change the name. And uh, Scott, our bass player, his brother in high school was this really popular jock named uh, Craig. And uh, everybody knew who Craig was. Nobody knew who Scott was. So anytime anybody asked who our bass player was, we would say Craig's brother. <laughs> and then one day they were hanging out at Andy's house. Andy is our guitar player, and he's the guy who pretty much started the band. He doesn't play with us anymore, but at the time he was the guitar player. And he still is very involved in the band. Like He helped produce Insidious Light. He'll probably help produce our next recording as well. They were all hanging out at Andy's house, and Andy's mom just said out of the blue, why don't you call it Craig's brother? And they, uh, they grabbed that. You have to pay her royalties. <laughs> if there were any royalties to pay, maybe. <laughs> uh, at least she has that claim of inventing the name. Right. Well, she also gave birth to the guy who pretty much made the band happen. Really, it all comes down to Mama Snyder. We should thank her on every record. <laughs> ¶¶ 
Another track from the Homecoming album. If you haven't already noticed, Ted Bond says what he thinks. You'll hear more of that on the next part of our talk. I want to go back to the tooth and nail thing, because there was a number of bands that disliked being on that label. But I guess, really, would it have been possible for Craig's brother to become popular without tooth and nail? You know, I've often wondered about that. And I don't really know what would have happened had we not signed Tooth & Nail. I know that Tooth & Nail did huge things for us. And certainly in the past, I've complained about Tooth & Nail. But at this point in my life, I'm not resentful. I'm thankful for the things that they did for us. Um, I understand why people had issues. A lot of things going on, a lot of change going on. and At least for Craig's brother, if we had any issues with Tooth & Nail, maybe it wasn't necessarily the best fit and that we weren't really towing the Christian band line as much as we could have. But overall, I think it was a good experience. You talked about not towing the Christian band line. I know some of the bands then, they were actually expected to preach from stage, meaning that was the type of line you weren't towing? Um, <laughs> no. I don't mind preaching from stage a little bit, but I don't necessarily preach the altar call gospel that people might expect. Usually I'm preaching more as a punk. But... You know, things like, at one point there was a picture of our drummer flipping off the camera that got posted online. Okay. And that was like a big issue. And we were like, you know, yeah, we were followers of Jesus, but we're also a punk band. And we never said we were going to not be a punk band. Meaning that you were bringing in that punk band attitude. Yeah. I don't see anywhere where that sort of thing is a problem with the ethics of Jesus. In fact, the only part of Jesus' teaching where he mentions swear words, he says, um, if you say the word raka, you'll be brought before the council, which is like the, uh, the spiritual authorities. But I tell you that if you even call your brother a fool, but I think it's that you'll be in danger of the fire of hell. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, look, you guys want to make it a list of words that are bad. But in reality, it's the intention of your heart. Are you trying to hurt someone? Because that's what's bad. It's not this list of words. So for us, the picture of the middle finger, I mean, if you saw the picture, it's the cutest thing ever. He's not being a jerk. He's not trying to make anyone mad. I don't even think he thought that the picture would wind up on the internet. Somebody was taking his picture and he flipped them off with a big smile on his face. I don't think that following Jesus is about making a big issue out of middle fingers. I've heard Jesus described as the original punk. Yeah, I have a blog called The Punk Gospel where I get quite into that. Yeah, basically, he was more punk than any punk ever. (laughs) 
Well, let's talk about that debut release with Tooth and Nail. Because Homecoming made a big impact, especially with the song Dear Charlotte. It's about wanting to return to an earlier version of yourself. But that comes across as like a midlife crisis. So what's odd about it is that you were young when that was recorded. You couldn't have been singing it to yourself. <laughs> yeah, I was singing it to my future self. No. Okay, so the lyrics are, the first verse is an old man. The second verse is a midlife crisis. So a middle-aged man. And the third verse is a young man who just lost his girlfriend. And that was actually talking about our drummer, Heath, who uh, he had broken up with his girlfriend and he just couldn't get over it. He was so broken up. Um, it probably took him about a year and a half to get back to quote unquote normal. So the point of the song was, it was more written to Heath and um, trying to remember how the last verse goes. Loneliness reduces you to disharmony. Your life seems so hopeless and melancholy, etc. The point is, it describes three different people who are looking back at a previous time in their life and longing for it. I can't expect you to remember all of the lyrics. That was how many decades ago? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, about two decades ago. You know, the funny thing is, if I were to sing the song, I could sing it perfectly. The lyrics are memorized, I don't know, like in the lower part of my brain. It's more of a physiological memory. I certainly, like if I... Memory conveys that you were something to be when you weren't held captive in an aged body. You had a... <laughs> now I'm mixing up the verses. I don't know. It's okay. It's because you just woke up from your afternoon nap. <laughs> yeah, well, I, yeah I, w I wish I could say that. That's coming after the interview, Dave.
some of the band's topics were aimed squarely at Christians, like back and forth off your sophomore release, Lost at Sea. I mean, it deals with self-worth and also, I guess, basically trying to measure up to other people's expectations. You know, I guess Steve Taylor also sang about becoming a Christian clone. Is that kind of thing common in Christianity, or is it universal? Well, I mean, I think within any group, there's always going to be some pressure to conform. I think with Christianity, and maybe with any religion, what happens is people who don't really understand it kind of are the majority in the group with kind of a lack of understanding of what it actually looks like to follow Jesus. They try to imitate whoever they think is doing a good job. And so when you have a bunch of people imitating each other, but not really understanding what it's actually supposed to be, then yeah, you're going to get some situations where, where there's kind of like, oh, if you're a Christian, you look like this and you act like this. It's the same with punk rock. You know, I remember I did a tour in Europe back in 2011 and there was a guy, he was all about punk rock. And if you, you know, from the initial conversation with him, it seemed like he was the most punk guy ever. But then he, after getting to know him a little bit, he's like, oh yeah, I just got into punk about nine months ago. Before that, I was super into hip hop. (laughs) Nevertheless, this guy wanted to tell me and my bandmates what it meant to be punk rock. And I'm like, no, dude, you got it all wrong. You just came on board. You should be listening to us, not telling us. And I think that's the same thing with Christianity. It's generally the ones who don't really understand it, but they're the most vocal about it. And so they, you know, they're going around kind of presenting a false idea of what it should be because that's what they think, but they don't really know. Late at night alone in the bathroom, freaking out because you just can't control everything that happens around you. Setting stone with no proof of validity. You're so confident, you're terrified of anything. The threatens your standing. The eyes of the world, the eyes of the church, the eyes of your fears. The wagging of tongues, whispering shame upon your ears. And all the plans that you laid out too carefully, falling short of your knee, your Victorian fantasy.
something that's always stood out for me about Craig's brother is that your music and vocals come across as being light and happy, but you usually cover serious topics in the lyrics, you know, like the song 10,000 Miles from the Epidemic release. Yeah, that was something that I thought about initially when we first kind of got into it. You know, I feel like the Beatles do the same thing sometimes. Um, And I I don't know, I realize that it's actually, I don't know, it can be powerful. Um, for me, the Craig's Brothers song that really does that is uh, the song The Thousand Yard Stare. I've had people be like, I thought that song was a totally happy song. And then I listened to the lyrics and I wanted to cry. And and I don't know. I feel like you kind of get this initial impression. Then you let the lyrics sink in. Then you listen to it again and you're like, oh, it's not necessarily happy. It's just melodic. So then having the serious topics, did your music back then, did you feel it was reflecting a Christian viewpoint? Um, yeah, actually I do. The difference is it was a genuine follower of Jesus talking about his life and talking about myself, as opposed to trying to present a Christian message, quote unquote, without it being genuine, which is really goes back to kind of what I was saying about people who don't really know the message of Jesus trying to, you know, represent it. I don't think that Jesus is at all interested in platitudes. I don't think he's at all interested in lip service. I don't even think he's interested in, in like a big rallying yay Jesus cry or all of us like making a big deal about how great a Christians we are. I mean, I think he's interested in, in people. I think he's interested in us. But when you really encounter the real Jesus, there's only one thing you can do, and that's be genuine because he knows your heart anyway. How many artists do you think truly are honest and genuine in what they create? You know, I think the best are, or at least the best art always comes from a place of honesty, even if you don't exactly know what's behind it. And when it's not genuine, I don't know, it can be successful, but in my opinion, it's not good. I'm Ted Bond, and you're listening to Craig's Brother on The Antidote.
That was 10,000 Miles from Craig's Brother 2004 Epidemic release. The band's discography may not be huge, but it is all significant. Coming along, I asked Ted about their recordings, and I'll bring in the song Freedom, found on the Insidious Lie. Something I've never sorted out about Craig's Brother is the big gaps between releases. We just talked about the Epidemic EP. It took another seven years before you recorded The Insidious Lie. Is keeping the band together a struggle? Yeah, well, it's more about finances. You know, we live in the San Francisco Bay Area, which is one of the most ridiculously expensive places to live in the world. Um, So at this point, at, at any rate, most of us are just working more than 40 hours a week just to barely make ends meet. Time off is not really an option. Let's see, let's go back in time. After releasing Homecoming, we went on our first tour. And touring is rough. I'm pretty sure Andy was just over it. Didn't want to tour. Adam, he didn't get along that well with the band. So they left. So then we found a few more guitar players, including Ryan Key from Yellow Card, to play for us for Lost at Sea. But again, that didn't really work out. They had come out from Florida. And the prospect of living in California just was not really reasonable for them. Like, they couldn't find jobs and homes to make it work. The only reason it worked for the rest of us was because we were living with our parents. Right. So they moved back to Florida. Then we found Steven, and we were able to record Epidemic in 2004. And after that, actually, we didn't break up. Like, we would practice two times a week for about six years. We did that without really playing a whole lot of shows And that was more about the music industry. Um, The music industry got really weird in the late 2000s. It really kind of felt like the independent music industry was over. For us, we we thought it was all over and we were just kind of practicing still just for the, the fun of it. And then the idea to make Insidious Lie was just kind of a whim. Andy actually started hanging out with us. And then he was like, let's make a record. And we were like, okay, let's do it. Then Kyle Black got involved. Kyle Black, he recorded uh, Newfound Glory, State Champs, Comeback Kid, Grayscale. He's done some really big stuff, yeah. He found out we were recording. He wanted to get involved. So we were like, of course. That was actually about 2010 or so. Took about almost two years to make Insidious Lie. Actually, I got divorced in 2012. That was probably the biggest thing for me that prevented me from doing music between then and now. It was more about just figuring out my life. Like I had to find a new place to live. and You know, I was dealing with financial issues and my life was just a big mess. It got calm enough by 2016 that I started thinking about music again and here we are. So there was no particular attraction. It's just life became a little bit easier, and that's why you decided to head to the studio and record Devils in the Details. Yeah, sort of. Yeah, I I found I had the space in life for it. It's also, okay, I guess maybe I expected that um, some other career was going to come up for me, and I'd be successful in some other career. Like, I wanted to be a, a college professor. I did teach a class. I taught Bible at Southwestern Christian University online. But that's a really insecure career path. I guess what happened was in the last few years, I've accepted the fact that I'm going to be a math tutor and I'm going to be a musician for the rest of my life, 
regardless of how much they pay, and that's just the way it is, so I might as well just do it. And you're content with that? Yeah, I'm very content with that. Now that I've accepted it, I am. Especially because it allows me to make music still. just brought up about the new EP, Devils in the Details. I read this interesting quote from Brandon Jones of your new label, Indivision Music, and he said, I'm thrilled to release this much-anticipated new release from legendary and, dare I say, infamous punk band Craig's Brother. I've been a fan of this band since the moment I heard Homecoming on Tooth & Nail back in 98. So, yeah, I agree about loving your band since your debut, but I must be missing something, because what's this infamous thing? Oh, well, I, how do I explain that? A lot of bands in the Christian scene would play Christian metal or Christian, whatever their Christian version of the secular music was. Mm -hmm. But they weren't really the sort of people who actually fit into that scene. Well, guess what? Craig's brother, we really are punks. We rubbed a lot of people wrong. Stuff like the flipping off the camera and, um, in general, not willing to kind of be cheerleaders for Jesus. Because you were being real. Yeah, because we were being ourselves. And in, in general, like, I never felt the need to, like, try and make Jesus more famous or something. And, in fact, I don't think I'm doing Jesus any favors. If anything, he's the one doing me favors. I do feel that I'm serving him, but... My idea of serving him is a lot more raw and genuine than wearing a t-shirt that says truth or something. So, yeah, we offended some people. 
we definitely weren't necessarily what a youth group was expecting when we showed up. I guess that's where the infamous aspect comes in. Okay, just to be raw and honest, because I keep saying I'm raw and genuine, Dave. Sure. We also experience a lot of the negative sides of rock and roll that a lot of secular bands experience. Drug addiction, sex, that sort of stuff did affect us negatively. So that, that may be part of it. Basically, you weren't wearing a three-piece suit on stage, and you're still not now. <laughs> Does that mean you're going to edit out the drug addiction sex part? Not a bit, no. Okay. <laughs> Back to the new release. Devils in the Details has what I consider a perfect song, and I really think it's the best Craig's brother has ever done. You know, with these Beach Boys caliber vocals. Tell us the story about Follow Your Heart. Um, well, that's, that's a song I wrote for my stepdaughter. She graduated high school last year. She's in college now. And her name is Mae Lynn. And we always call her May. And, uh, I wanted to give her a song because she's grown up and she's entering adulthood. And I just wanted to wish her the best in the best way I possibly could. So that's how that song came out. Oh, you make it sound so simple. That's a really emotional song. I think any parent would agree that that's the type of message that they would want to give to their kids. You know, songs are just amazing that way. They have a way of conveying emotion that words alone don't. And I don't know how to explain that, but I don't even know what to say, except that I poured my heart out and that's what came out. And what did May think about the song? Oh, she loves it. Oh my gosh, Dave, I, you haven't seen the music video, have you? No. There's a music video coming out on June 6th. That's her birthday. Without giving too much away, basically, um, the story that the music video is presented within is me showing her the song for the first time. So it's all on video of her watching the song for the first time, and, and uh, it's pretty great. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> okay, I'm going to look forward to seeing that one for sure. Far. 
have an oddity on Devils in the Details, the song Harry versus Mount St. Helens. I mean, Harry R. Truman, he died on Mount St. Helens during the eruption because he wouldn't leave. That's right. Was he worthy of a tribute? You know, okay, I came up with that melody and I was like, wow, this really sounds like a sort of going down with the ship sort of song or something like that. Um, I actually thought about maybe writing a song about Rip Van Winkle. Okay. For some reason. Um, I, get, I don't know. For some reason, the melody just really like had this American folklore sort of feel to me. Mm-hmm. And then I remembered as a kid watching on the news the story about Harry R. Truman and how he refused to leave. And I was like, that's it. That's what the song's about. Yeah, and I think it worked well. It definitely was a subject worth singing about, even though he's a little bit crazy, maybe. Crazy and cantankerous. Yes. It's an old word, but I've got to use that because that's how he was. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was a cantankerous curmudgeon. (laughs) There we go. We got in both of those great words. Yeah. Something wicked, something strange.
I still find it odd that Harry R. Truman has been claimed as an American folk hero. His story has kept people's attention for decades. More important than that is Devils in the Details. I can see everyone putting that EP on their gotta get it list. I mean, it's perfect. Next time on The Antidote comes a visit with the metal band Diviner from Greece. We'll have a chance to premiere some of the music from their upcoming album, Realms of Time, and speak with Giannis about the spiritual aspect of their songs. Here it is, the final part of my talk with Ted Bond, where I ask about the title track of Devils in the Details. Have a great week. You know, I really do find Devils in the Details is superb. Who'll be picking up on this? Old fans, or are you going to be pulling in new ones? I would love it if we could pull in some new fans, Dave. I don't even know how that's done anymore. My assumption is that it's going to be mostly people who already know Craig's brother who are going to hear this. We live in a weird world where the internet is not the place where you can go and find new people anymore. Which is unfortunate. Yeah, it is. It's really unfortunate. You know, I know Brandon is working hard to get our music to new listeners. And if anybody can do it, it's Brandon. I don't really understand how the world works anymore, to be honest. Is that just because you're old and cantankerous? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, My wife would say yes. Well, listen, to finish up, I can usually figure out a song, but you know what? The title track has left me being stumped. Can you explain Devil in the Details? Um, I knew I would eventually be asked this question. Um, it's not like I thought of a specific subject and wrote that song. It was more playing with just kind of religious language. If I had to say there was a point, it's that Religious language can be often misleading in a weird way. Not intentionally. It's not like people are lying. But the reality of the situation often isn't as it's conveyed. I guess that's that's what I would say about the meaning of that song. Okay. And we'll let our listeners figure this out on their own. The Antidote has been here with the one and only Ted Bond. Thanks for coming for this talk, Ted. It's been great. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me on, Dave. Like a transcript of heaven With sets of seven And bread that's unleavened Till the part where they pierce him with the nails But there's devils in the details In the details Straight to hell Gone cloistered in your cell Like I'm speaking glossolalia Let me tell ya so strange cause the feeling never fails but there's devils in the details in the details devils in the details devils in the details devils in the details devils in the details it's in the details devils in the
to say Let it spread like mass hysteria Did it scare ya? You can see, just don't peek behind the veils Cause there's devils in the details In the details